0: Hello, everyone. Um, I wrote this story a long time ago. As I've got older, it's taken on more meaning. I wrote it when I was a very young man and I was (laughs) learning about the way the world works and I suppose you could call it part of my growing up period, although some people would argue with that. I'm often told (laughs) I've never grown up. Anyway, I don't come out of this story very well when I read it and narrate it, I'm always a little bit ashamed of what I did. Perhaps you'll take a different view. The story is called The Watch by Robert Moormill. In 1957, I was 19 years of age when I I arrived back in Fremantle looking for a job, any job. I'd spent a couple of years in Victoria and the Gulf country of North Queensland just drifting through various jobs and doing bits and pieces here and there for food or board or a small wage. And I'd seen a lot of Australia but wanted to see more of the world beyond Australian shores. And in Fremantle, I found some casual work as a, a labourer before signing on as a crew member of a Norwegian ship that carried cargo between ports in Australia, Singapore, Hong Kong, Communist China, Japan, Canada and Pacific Ocean ports of the United States of America. In 1958, our ship left west coast of the USA and sailed across the Pacific. We were bound for Manila and other ports in the Philippines. A few weeks later, while still at sea, my 20th birthday passed quietly. No celebration, (laughs) I just had the afternoon off in my cabin. After weeks at sea, the the crew were well-primed for lots of drinking, sex, raucous behaviour and serious partying. And when it came to partying, these boys were world champions. When our ship reached Manila, the skipper gave most of the crew two days' leave. We piled into taxis and one of the boys showed a card to the lead driver who who took us to a small place in Pasay City that my older shipmate said had well-priced drinks and what he described as clean pussy. On arrival, we were greeted enthusiastically by six hostesses and the bar manager, who remembered our crew from previous visits. He waved a finger at us and said, "'This time, no fighting, no breaking chairs, "'no dancing on tables.'" Assurances were given and the boys cranked up the jukebox and ordered large amounts of booze. The bar was a tiny, sleazy place, a dozen or so tables and chairs, a jukebox, a few fading posters of female American film stars in bathing suits and they adorned the walls everywhere and the toilet. <laughs> and what a toilet. The bar was close to uh, a big American base that had been established there during the war uh, and after the war. And uh, in 1958, the war had only been over for just over a decade, so um, a strong American influence lingered. The only alcoholic drinks on offer were cheap local beer and potent rum. Within an hour, the rum had taken hold and the assurances given to the bar manager while they were forgotten and went out the window. And by the way, so did one of the chairs. The boys' idea of singing was raucous bellowing in a couple of languages, uh, interspersed with gales of rum-sodden laughter. Shirts came off. Boots flew through the air. The boys knew how to party. Were they wild? I could understand... (laughs) why the Vikings reigned with so much terror during their invasions of England in medieval times. These blokes went wild. A few shots of rum caused me to believe I was a wonderfully gifted undiscovered rock star. Dancing on the bar seemed like a great idea. (laughs) The news that I'd recently had a birthday was greeted with a roar from my shipmates. I was immediately ordered to start to dance and sing. I yelled my way through an awful rendition of a popular song that drew loud applause from my shipmates. It was horrible, but they loved it. During the day, I was enjoying the attention of a pretty hostess. She laughed at my antics and when our eyes met, she smiled a warm, wide, beautiful smile. Unlike some of the girls who were wearing revealing clothing, she wore a modest lemon white dress, which contrasted with her smooth brown skin. Her long jet black hair was tied back with a yellow ribbon and as she moved among the tables serving drinks and exchanging banter with the customers, she would occasionally look my way and smile. At the end of the night, one of my shipmates, an old hand at dealing with such matters, called me aside and said, Bobby, that girl, she likes you. If you want to go home with her, you have to pay the manager. I knew that most of the girls were prostitutes. There was no rooms attached to the premises. If a client wanted to have sex with one of the hostesses, the customer paid the manager and went home with the girl. There was a problem. Most of my money was gone. I spoke to the manager and told him I'd spent all of my money in his bar. He shrugged his shoulders and said, too bad, no pussy for you. You want to play, you got to pay. Them the rules. The girl and I were holding hands. I badly wanted to go home with her. I was wearing a watch my mother had given me. To my shame, I removed the watch from my wrist and showed it to the manager. He looked at it, took it, slipped it into his pocket and nodded to the girl. Before we left the bar, I asked the manager if the girl would be paid with the proceeds from the watch. He waved me off and said, oh yeah, sure, sure. The girl and I left the bar and made our way through back streets and crowded slums, past flimsy shanties made of sheets of rusty corrugated iron, canvas and cardboard. Shirtless, sullen, unsmiling men sat smoking near the doorways of some of the shabby dwellings. The humid night air was foul with the smell of rotting garbage and sewage. I'd never seen such poverty. The girl took me to a small one-room shack, jammed amongst thousands of others. We entered a tiny candlelit room. There was a small table and two chairs against one wall. I could see a narrow wire, and blankets in a corner. Two tiny bodies were huddled under the covers. The bar girl took my hand and led me to another cot at the back of the room. Above the cot there was a wire that stretched between the walls. A flimsy curtain attached to the wire gave some privacy. When the girl slipped out of her high heels, I was, I was surprised at how tiny she was. She took my hand and placed it over her heart. In a quasi-American accent, she said softly, I am Marita. I took her hand and placed it on my chest and whispered, I am Robert. She smiled, and I leaned down and kissed her cheek and said, hello marita she gave a soft laugh and said hi robert next to the cot was a wooden box which was used as a bedside table atop the box was a candle standing on a a small cracked plate marita lit the candle i watched as she crossed the room and from an old oil drum ladled water into a a battered tin dish. She took a small piece of white soap from a shelf above the water drum and placed it in the dish before placing the dish of cold water and soap on the bedside box. She then drew the curtain. Marita undressed me, then removed her clothes. There were two hand towels on the pillow of the cot. She soaked one of the towels and gently washed my body after which I used the other hand towel to wash Marita. The bed was nothing more than a wire-framed camp stretcher. Sex that night was slow and gentle. In the darkness, Marita spoke to me softly, sometimes in English, other times in in a language I'd not heard before. In the morning, I woke to see the curtain had been drawn back and a a little girl and a very old lady were squatting in a corner near the water drum watching me. They were the two who had shared the other cot. Marita spoke to the old lady who nodded and lit a small spirit stove. She boiled water in an old kettle and prepared two cups of black tea. Marita went to a... An old wooden cupboard. She handed me an orange and a hard boiled egg. I couldn't see any other food in the cupboard. I offered the orange and the egg to the little girl and she shook her head and clung to the old lady. Marita said, my grandmother looks after my daughter while I work. I gave the egg to Marita and offered the orange to the grandmother, but she shook her head vigorously and turned away. Later in the morning, Marita walked back to the ship with me. It was a long walk on a hot, steamy day through streets where small children played in unimaginable squalor. When we arrived at the ship, I asked Marita to wait at the gangway. I I went to the galley and found a small cardboard box. I smiled at the Chinese cooks and put my finger to my lips to indicate silence as I placed a few small items of food in the box. The chief cook watched me, said nothing, but followed me to the gangway as I handed the box to Marita. I told her to stay for a moment and ran back up the gangway. The chief cook was also the ship's money lender. If he trusted you, he would lend you some American dollars at an interest rate of 20% a month. As I approached him, the chief cook grinned and said, <laughs> Pussy! I'd never borrowed money and he was surprised when I asked for a loan. He said... Only give $20 and you sign a paper. I signed the IOU and gave Marita the money and she started to cry. She said, you see me tonight, Robert? I said, sure, baby, I'll see you tonight, no worries. But there was no chance of that. Late that afternoon, our ship was leaving for Cebu and would not return to Manila for at least six months or more, maybe longer. I stood at the top of the gangway and watched Marita walk away. She waved. I never saw her again. Some months later our ship called into Fremantle and I signed off. I'd been away for the best part of a year and had seen a lot of the world. The following year I received a message from my mother who was working at the Cleopatra Hotel in Fremantle. She contacted me to say that the ship I'd sailed on was in port and my former shipmates were were keen to have a drink with me and do a bit of partying. I met the boys at the Cleo. As usual, they were drinking plenty and making lots of noise. Oh, dear. As I walked in the door, the dartboard flew out into High Street. One of them called me aside and said, ''A few months ago, we were in Manila.'' A bar girl came to the ship looking for you. She was upset when we told her you'd signed off. She gave me this to give to you. He handed me the watch I'd given to the bar manager, the watch that was a gift from my mother. My former shipmate said, the other girls at the bar told me she saved her pesos and bought it back from the bar manager. She said she needed to give it to you. My former shipmate frowned, handed me the watch and said, first time I've ever heard of a bar girl doing something like that.